This is the sinister story of an Irish immigrant who brought typhoid fever to the upper echelons of New York City. But did she deserve the title Angel of Death? This is the story of Typhoid Mary. This is just kind of like the podcast where I invited you, but I didn't really want you on board. It's kind of just me and Dara. But no. <laughs> no. We got you shit-faced in your house, and then you were just like, I kind of want to be a part of the podcast now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was weird as well, because you said it to me while we were drunk, and I was like, yeah, definitely. I'd, yeah, that'd be great fun. I'd love it. And then you didn't mention it again when we were sober. And I was like, oh, well, do they say that and now regret it? <laughs> so I didn't know if I was actually wanted. We're stuck with them now. Well, you're here. And now I know I'm definitely not wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but you're in, so. Yeah, yeah you're into the fold. Yeah, Fair it's hot. like that guy in uh, train spotting. Do you know he's like... The, the dead baby? Like, no, the guy who like starting to scrap, you know, at the start, he's starting fights in the bar. And he's like, you and McGregor's like, he's a prick. But you know, He's a mate. And they all jump in and join him in the fight that he started. <laughs> it's not except without the fighting. It's what you do. I had a friend, Chris, uh, not the Chris you guys know, but in Korea who used to, he'd get shit-faced drunk and then he'd just start eyeing up like this lovely, friendly Korean man. And he'd be like, that guy wants to fight me. I was like, Chris, he doesn't. He's like, that fucking prick over there. He's that fucking wanker. And I was like, Chris, he's doing nothing. He's sitting there having a quiet drink with his family. And then, then you kind of have to like, I he yeah he kind of wouldn't run over and start pushing. I'm like, what? Well, I don't do. I don't have aggro friends. I'm not used to this. Like, so you soft. jumped in and started beating up this Korean family. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Start with the kids. <laughs> I'll take the small ones. Jesus. <laughs> Can I just throw something into our intro? Go on. My internet connection is so shit. We have Virgin Media here, and I'm better off having a connection to my 20 year old month on three. <laughs> Hot spotting than that fucking shit. <laughs> so we, survived, we survived. Are you? Yeah, we survived on twenty euro a month there in the other house. Uh, yeah, I was like, playing uh, Fortnite and I was like doing all my stuff. Hotspot's so much better than Verge. It's so stupid. Uh, so sponsor sp- sponsorships. We need three Hotspot, and we need the Hammock people, whoever they are. Yeah, imagine we get we get it sponsored by Virgin Media, and they're like, "Right, guys, we'll sponsor your podcast. <laughs> yeah. We'll push it in all our socials. We'll give it a load of advertising." Darling, no, but you have we'll, to be connected to us. We'll be. <laughs> <laughs> it won't work. <laughs> so again, another story about a woman who, like, we keep kind of dealing with women in negative ways or not necessarily negative ways we keep talking about women who don't necessarily have the happiest of tales to tell do we no and we keep saying each time that at the end of each episode we're like okay next time it's going to be a celebrated woman and then i don't know we just keep coming back to these type of stories but it's the sensationalist aspect isn't it like in the past when a woman didn't do something that was normal it was blown up i don't know it's out of proportion so they're the ones we remember yeah, I guess so. But if you have any suggestions, dear listener, please send it along. If there's someone who's had an amazing life that we could cover, we will happily take suggestions <laughs> so we can stop doing such morbid. Well, I do enjoy the morbid ones. So I can't really, you know, yeah. I can't fault it. And to be fair, we we did, we have to cover Typhoid Mary because like, I didn't know much about her, but I know the name. It was only a matter mm-hmm. of time. Yeah, that's that's a big one for the list, I think. All right. Should we get into it? Yeah, absolutely. So she was actually Irish, right? She did come from Ireland. 
I thought you were about to say she was actually called Typhoid Mary. No, no, her friends, her friends who were married. <laughs> she was, uh, yeah, she was. Her name is actually Mary Mallon, and she was born on the twenty third of September, eighteen sixty nine, in Cookstown, County Tyrone, so in Northern Ireland. Um, and I find it funny that she was born in a place that became her profession as well. Ooh. Mm. I, it's, it's also Malone and what was it, Malone and Mallon? I think I saw. Was it? That's the classic going into America and then. The guy who meets you at the port been like, what's your name? And she was like, Malin or Malone. And then he just would write Malone. down whatever way he spelt it. Like, so her name was Mary Malone. In Cookstown, Fair City. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with that. Where the girls don't wash their hands. Connor, Cookstown is where we stayed when we were mountain biking, when we were in the little shed. Oh, yeah. We got a really cheap Airbnb <laughs> and like, I'm pretty, it was like 12 pounds. It was so small. It was ridiculous. And like, we got there like 11 or late at night and you could tell the guy probably had it that cheap because he just wanted to talk about it and how proud of it he was and we were just kind of like look we just want to go to bed man but thanks yeah you did a great job in the bed yeah it's lovely yeah yeah it was actually a shed yeah it really was a shed conversion if that was in dublin that'd be like three thousand a month (laughs) yeah and then i thought i'd be nice there was only one bed and i was like here rush you take the bed i'll sleep on the ground and the bed was awful and i had a really quite atrocious absolutely atrocious oi anyway we digress so Back to Mary, not Molly. It, yeah, there's speculation that she, her mother was infected with typhoid during pregnancy and that Mary was literally born, she came out of the womb as a carrier of typhoid. Asymptomatic, yeah. yeah. An asymptomatic carrier. So that basically means that she can carry it within her, but she is totally healthy uh, in every other aspect of her life. Unfortunately, I think a lot of these type of terms people have come um, familiar with over the last year with you know COVID yeah it's weird the whole time you're like why couldn't they just wash their hands in quarantine like it's not that hard <laughs> oh wait yeah mm-hmm. we've, we've been there <laughs> so yeah um, I guess we should get into typhoid at some stage but typhoid essentially is a it's a type of salmonella that can really it kind of lives in the gut and can really really fuck you up and it can actually cause holes in your intestines and spread all over your body so it was quite what's the word it was quite fatal it was quite quite it, fatal <laughs> but it had been around for hundreds of years before this but around this time there still really wasn't like a concept of hygiene so it could spread quite quickly when it took hold in in towns and cities that were all living on top of each other with not very developed sewage systems and stuff so yeah people were aware of typhoid by this time but i think the healthy carrier concept was kind of new well the like really interesting thing i was looking into the history of typhoid um, mm. and it's there's references to it in greek scripture so like they think it has been around as long as people have been around. And it's also important to note that there wasn't a cure for typhoid at the time. So it wasn't until 1948 that they had first anti- antibiotics that fought it. Uh, and during Mary's time, the death rate was about 12%. Uh, and then when the antibiotics came, it dropped to about 1% in, in Western countries. 1948, Dara? Yeah, that's what I have. To, antibiotics first, yeah. So they, had, they invented like vaccines and stuff as earlier on that were short-term ones so i was looking up typhoid in like the 1900s and at the time typhoid killed more soldiers at war than combat did yeah and that's a, that's a very common that like diseases cause a lot more deaths in wars than the actual exchange of gunfire yeah but it, there's a guy who's got a great name is almroth edward wright and he first developed an effective typhoid vaccine in 1896 which is mad so that was used in the boer war for the first time and based on this experience in world war one the brits were the only 
army to have a fully immunized army. So for the first time ever, more soldiers died in combat than from disease, which is a victory, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a sad thing. <laughs> it's also the you know the biggest bloodshed ever in a war, so it might have happened anyway. So we're not sure. They just um, died before they got typhoid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're more effective at killing. Um, and of more than 186,000 troops, northern troops that died from the disease during the American Civil War, 80,000 of them were attributable to typhoid. So Jesus, yeah. So it's mad. It's um, a killer. It's yeah, okay. The last, the last stat I'm going to put in here is um, World War I was the first war that was fought where typhoid wasn't really a factor. So before World War I, the death rate in typhoid was 1 in 12, I think, was it? Where did I write that down? It was about 1 in 12. It was very, very small. But after World War I, it was 1 in 2,000. Or during World War I, it was 1 in 2,000. So it's a huge, huge difference in the amount of death that it caused. I thought you were about to repeat the same fact I just gave there. <laughs> yeah, it's like how I say it more. <laughs> but yeah, we'll kind of be coming in out of kind of what typhoid is and how it works. But it's easily spread via like food contamination or contaminated water. Um, so if we just kind of quickly go back to Mary, she while she was in Northern Ireland, she worked as a cook for wealthy families, and then she kind of brought those skills as a teenager over to America in 1883, and she moved in with her aunt and her uncle. So yeah, that's that's her arrival in America. So she's there, just kind of early 1900s. She was an indentured servant, wasn't it? Really, that's what she kind of came over to be. Uh, well, no. What I have here is that she she'd worked for some quite wealthy families, and like mm. the money was quite good. Like a good a good wage that she was on was fifty dollars per month, um, and that was like pretty. That was a pretty solid income. You know, she was mm. able to kind of live a fair, not exactly an affluent life, but she was able to afford the base. You know, happy enough, like. You know, fifty dollars is actually about uh, one thousand five hundred dollars now. Oh, I thought you were going to say something about sheep or cows. Or <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> me too. I was like, Connor, please leave the fucking sheep alone. <laughs> not the first time not I said the that first to you. Time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that actually, I was looking that up for something else, but uh, I'll come back to that later. Uh, it's not like I'm not dangling something interesting. It's she gets fifty dollars later on. That's why I looked it up. Oh. And she wanted to stay a cook because it was so well paid. So the, the other one, like cleaners or uh, laundress or whatever, they they weren't as well paid. So she, this comes up further down the line that she's yeah, just like, yeah. no, no, I want to be a cook. And that's it. Yeah. This is, and like, she's, I'm from Cookstown. You know, she has to just stick to a, her name's worth. That's, Namesake. Is it still nominative determinism? Jesus, I can't even say that. You know, that thing where your name is, you know, when you're, what your name is what you do. Oh, like yes. Past, like, like your last name is Baker. Is yeah, yeah. yeah, it's nom- nominative determinism. There you go. Yep, got there. <laughs> uh, but I don't know if that counts if it's where the you're town. from. Well, me and Dara are from Brown River. So take what you will from that. <laughs> it's not Fort. It's done, not Fort. Yeah. Oh, I have no idea. It's Fort no on idea. the boy. You know, that. <laughs> that would actually, that sounds much cooler. I've been telling everyone I'm from Brown River all my life. <laughs> Jesus, Fort. What that sounds so of, much cooler. What a brown river. Where did you... Dun Boyne. Dun is brown oh, in, Irish, okay, yeah. in English. But yeah, let's take Darren's thing because that sounds much better, yeah. <laughs> I remember how disappointed I was when you were telling me that Dunboyne Castle was a thing in your town. And we went to Dunboyne Castle and it's just a hotel that has a bit of an old wall. It's like, look, that, that was a castle. 
And before that, it was like a Magdalen laundry. So Dunboyne Castle never has never lived up to its name, to be honest. There was a mysterious peacock there. But anyway. Back to Mary. <laughs> yeah. So from the ni- 1900 to around 1907, she would work for a bunch of families around New York. But something strange kept happening, which is these families would be doing fairly well. Because again, typhoid was considered the poor man's disease. So it didn't really spread around the affluent families as much as it did in the poorer areas, which makes perfect sense when you think of hygiene and sanitation and just, you know, if you were wealthier, you probably had a bathroom in a different building, perhaps. I don't know, outhouses exist. But I have no idea. I don't know about toilets and shitting. Why am I talking about this shit? So anyway, the point being that like of these families, they would start to come down with this sickness. They start to get typhoid and they didn't really know what was happening. And Mary's planned so she must have kind of been known what she was doing because when the families became sick with typhoid she would disappear she'd get out of dodge and she wouldn't leave any forwarding address yeah i was more thinking that she was like oh fuck typhoid's here i need to get out of here before yeah. i catch that <laughs> and then she just ran away i'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt <laughs> uh, well that makes that makes sense as well i guess yeah. if you're typhoid the last thing you want is a cook you'd be just too busy puking and shitting yourself uh, it's funny though when you were saying how typhoid was a lower classes disease i was looking up Famous people who died of typhoid. So William the Conqueror died of typhoid. Alexander the Great, I think, as well. Oh, really? Alexander the shit, they called him now. <laughs> uh, Abraham Lincoln's son died, and that caused a bit of a stir, because they were like, that That was like upper echelon kind of thing again. And William Henry Harrison, who was the ninth president of the United States, who died 32 days into his term. I think the fact that you have to tell us that he was a president of the United States. <laughs> yeah. Tells well, he, us was he, the, wasn't. he was the ninth one as well, which is quite a long time ago. But he. Um, but again, early days where there's feck all hygiene. Yeah, but sense, it's, it's annoying that one because I'd heard the story about him that he refused to wear a coat at his inauguration and he got a cold and died because of that, which is a much better story. But yeah, apparently not true. Um, oh. And the last one I'll share is a guy called Arnold Bennett, who's an English novelist who died in 1932 of typhoid two months after drinking a glass of water in a Paris hotel to prove that it was safe. Ooh. <laughs> that, don't, that didn't go down so well. Yeah. It's some way to go. <laughs> I don't know why the uh, hotel in Paris were like, oh, let's get a novelist in to tell people that the water is safe. Um, but yeah, like the thing was, the outbreaks would spread around the families quite quickly. But Mary's pattern was that once one person got sick, she just got out of there. I guess that the, your, your one makes sense. I don't know was she running around because she didn't really know. Like at this time, there was no concept of what a healthy carrier was. So if mm. you were sick and you died, you were sick and you died. That was fine. But when someone would say to you like, oh, you carry the disease, but you can't get sick from it. They'd be like, no, nah, you're talking shite. You know, you're talking out your arse. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why she's so famous is because she was the first asymptomatic carrier known in America. So yeah. that got her publicity. And then also, unfortunately, because she was an Irish immigrant and a woman, people didn't like her. So And single yeah. and living and in she sin was like, as well. She had an on-again, off-again boyfriend who... Yeah, so th- she was yeah, kind of a very good scapegoat, really. But yeah, that's kind of her early life anyway. So she was, they were starting to kind of realize that there was a pattern with these families. So they needed to try and figure out who was the person spreading this. So that's mm. kind of where the hunt, the hunt was on to find Mary. Yeah. And a few people actually died. There wasn't, they just got sick. Now, I don't think many family members, the rich, I don't think many of them died, but some of their other servants or helpers died. She has uh, about, she has about three deaths attributed to her, um, mm. but up to about 50 cases, I think, which actually doesn't sound like as many as I thought it would be. Uh, yeah, I think there. Yeah, there's different kind of 
facts and stuff like that about that obviously they can't really tell completely but yeah there's others that say 100 and yeah so it's all kind of guesswork yeah one of the families that mary looked after was a wealthy new york banker uh, at the time it's 1906 he was renting a house in oyster bay with his family and he was hired mary as, as their cook from August 27th to September 3rd, six of the 11 people in the family came down with typhoid fever. That just shows you just how quickly it spread. And especially was highlighted because in Oyster Bay, it was quite unusual, according to the doctors in the area. Yeah, yeah. Well, it makes again, it makes perfect sense that in an area with good sanitation, like again, I'm not too sure how the hygiene standards were back then, but at least if there was sanitation, it wouldn't spread as quickly. Mary seemed to get out of there quite quickly. Uh, but the landlord of the actual house, George Thomas, he wanted to, resolve this straight away he didn't want to have a reputation of typhoid in his houses or in his neighborhood uh, so he hired some detectives to, to look into this and try and, and try and figure out what was happening how do you pronounce this guy's name sofer soper i yeah. thought soper it's s-o-p-h-e-r oh so if you got the h-sofer yeah oh probably s-o-p-e-r then i probably just spelled it wrong so that's just soper isn't it Oh, you're trying to say super. Yeah. Genius. Well, I'll just say that detective was soper and he first started looking at uh, the water samples around the house. So he's looking at the pipes and the toilets um, and all came back negative, uh, but he wasn't letting that go. He wasn't a detective though. I think he was like a sanitation something. He wasn't quite a detective. Yeah. I saw a thing that called him like an aspiring sanitation expert it's like ooh, <laughs> it's aspiring yeah <laughs> yeah that's kind of thing he he slung his horse to finding her and he believes that by finding mary it would kind of elevate his career and make him famous so once he realized that there was a spreader spreading around the place he was mm-hmm. like a sniffer dog trying to find out who it was yeah so mm-hmm. her old employer in oyster bay was was that warren wasn't it uh yeah henry warren charles henry warren yeah, yeah so he had hired George Soper. And at this time, Mary, who had kind of left there and gone back to New York, she was hired by... Sorry, sorry, I, I have it. Well, I, I have it both ways. So I have it that it was either the house owner, George Thomas, and, oh. or else it was your man, Charles Henry Warren. Oh, Charles Warren was the... He was the guy that rented the house. So he was the one that hired uh, okay. uh, Mary. And then it was actually, yeah. So I have it. I've, I've said it already that your man, George, the house owner, uh, hired Soper. See, this is around 1906, and Mary had been hired back in New York City by Walter Bowen, um, and she was working on Park Avenue in New York. So George Soper was kind of looking around, testing the water, testing all the pipes, testing everything, and he managed. I thought that was. I thought you were using a metaphor there. He was, te- but he's literally testing the water. Testing <laughs> Where is this typhoid? <laughs> so Soper was looking around, trying to figure out, and he went and found out about an Irish cook. So he kind of started thinking, okay, I'll piece together who was here, who wasn't here. He heard with this Irish cook who was quite large, apparently, and quite frantic. So he went back and looked through employment history and found her, a description of her at each of these uh, previous breakouts. Oh, so the net is the net is closing in. Well, he was a pretty good detective, yeah. Yeah, so he was an amateur sleuth, is what he seemed to call himself which is that works. He did write a book about this. So we have, this is how we have, like we have a, there was a book written about this. That's like kind of the detective catching the culprit. So that's not necessarily the narrative that's out that, that maybe it was, but that's the narrative that has been, the story has been spun into over the years. It's almost like the guy who caught Billy the kid putting out the book. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so he put together that this description of an Irish cook and he realized that she was at all of these outbreaks and he couldn't find her because she was, this was, you know, New York kind of casual labor. She wasn't able to, you know, there was no paper trail or whatever. So no Facebook, no Facebook. Yeah. She wasn't tweeting her Instagrams. He was then on the outlook for outbreaks and he heard about an outbreak on Park Avenue. And when he went to Park Avenue, he discovered that Mary was the cook there. He was on the outlook. He was in the... That's not a word. Lookout. You're on the out. That's that's Outlook's where you're, like you get your Gmail. Your webmail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was on Outlook. He was on the out, he, yeah. vigorously sending emails. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll probably just leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> it's staying. It's staying. Uh, so anyway, he did go to Park Avenue, and he thought the best way to do to find out and figure out if it was her was to go and just confront her directly, which seems. A bit weird. I just can't imagine how that conversation goes because the way to test for typhoid is to take a stool sample. So I don't think there's a good way to do it. So when he went to confront her, she took offense and she threatened him with a carving fork. Uh, and Soper said that he had been as diplomatic as possible. I, I actually have the full quote if you want to hear it. Oh, yeah. So I had my first talk with Mary in the kitchen of this house. I was as diplomatic as possible, but I had to say I suspected her of making people sick and I wanted specimens of her urine, feces and blood. <laughs> it, did not take lo- <laughs> it did not take Mary long to react to this suggestion. She seized a carving fork and advanced in my direction. I passed rapidly down the long, narrow hall, through the tall iron gate and so to the sidewalk. I felt rather lucky to escape. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Someone ran up to me and they're like, I need your blood, feces and urine. I I'd probably react somewhat similar, to be honest. <laughs> I would get a carving fork as well. I need your blood, feces, and urine because I think you're killing a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. True, true. But I just think it's so funny. Imagine just randomly walking to a cook in the kitchen. I need your shit. Like <laughs> it's it's just it's ridiculous. He described her well as well. He described her as uh, five foot six inches tall, a blonde with clear blue eyes, a healthy color, and a somewhat determined mouth and jaw. <laughs> pretty determined to stab him with a carving fork (laughs) (laughs) i say that like i know what a carve what's a carving fork like a two-pronged thing you'd stick in a turkey for some purpose that's my guess oh yeah to carve it yes no no, there you go yeah yeah, okay (laughs) so i i have a little bit more um connor i'm not sure if you already covered this but the arrest stuff do you have that yeah i have a bit more before we get to that okay cool so soper did a bit more digging and he found that of the eight families where mary had worked as a cook seven of those families claimed to have contracted typhoid fever. Um, but also he'd noted that she had lovingly iced and nursed the victims um, after they were infected with typhoid fever. And one employer even gave her a $50 tip, which is $1,500 today. This kind of, that shows to me that she definitely didn't realize or didn't know that she was like not malicious at all. She was like caring for them. And probably making them more food and probably getting them more sick. Yeah, that's my logic. Imagine like her fucking rubbing their face with her dirty poo hands. It's a bit excessive. It wasn't that well. It, her dirty really. poo hands. Dirty poo hands. Oh, it's even worse. Not much better. No, 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 no. So, like we said at the time, asymptomatic healthy carriers weren't known about then. So not even not known by the general public, just not known in medical journals or not known by doctors at all. So she didn't comply at all because she was like, this is a crazy person. Like, this is not real. So Soper then told the New York 
city health department and he like published his findings in uh, the medical journal and she was arrested then as a public health threat oh yeah i have a i have his soper's account of her arrest and it's quite it's quite fun as well (laughs) is this episode just going to be ushin reading his quotes this poor woman yeah (laughs) i like dramatically reading quotes what can i say here we go she came out fighting and swearing both of which she could do with appalling efficiency and vigor The policeman lifted her into the ambulance and I literally sat on her all the way to the hospital. It was like being in a cage with an angry line. Sorry, that wasn't Soper. That was actually the arresting officer. That's somebody else. But I just think it's, imagine they just sit on her. This is so demeaning. (laughs) Yeah, there was five, was it five policemen and a doctor? (laughs) So. I wonder were they like, say, if you, at the the start of the COVID pandemic, if you saw someone with COVID, you'd, you'd all dress up in all the white stuff and try and be careful. Like, I wonder were the, were they kind of concerned about getting typhoid if they didn't have the, if they didn't know how it was really transmitted, you know? Oh, yeah. I'll just say that she was transported to Willard Park Hospital and she was restrained and forced to give samples. And for four days, she wasn't allowed to get up or use the bathroom on her own. Well, her, her, I suppose all of that stuff, would they would be considered biological weapons. So it'd be like, again, in a, in a, in a, <laughs> they, they are, they are. Biological she, weapons. If she flings poo at someone, it's like, that's typhoid. <laughs> oh, Jesus. No, but you know, I guess without an understanding of it, they'd be like, we don't know how Jeez, to do I this. I can't believe they didn't think of that in the earlier wars, just shaking <laughs> their hands and throwing it like a monkey. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they've done something like that. Didn't they, they catapult rats with plague into siege? Dead bodies, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, dead bodies, slightly bigger. Catapults, you'd be doing a lot of rats if you're... <laughs> <laughs> but I actually have another quote, because I'm just going to be the quote guy today, about her her, feel, her writings about her first time in hospital. And she wasn't too happy, to be honest. So she said, I've been, in fact, a peep show for everybody. Even the interns have come to see me and ask about the facts already known in the whole wide world. The tuberculosis men would say, there she is, the kidnapped woman. But yeah, she was pretty unhappy. This was now, this had kind of been swept into a bit of a media circus. And this was around the time she started being referred to as Typhoid Mary. So uh, a title she wholeheartedly rejected. That's after Soper published his paper. And that's when that she really kind of came famous and uh, that, that pushed her out. Yeah, it was just terrible how she was treated. Obviously, they didn't know how it was spread. So they were very conscious of her and they were just thrown different like drugs and treatments at her just to see what would happen. Uh, but it was just, yeah, just awful. They actually did figure that out. They initially kind of thought it was down to her not washing her hands properly, like not vigorously scrubbing her hands. But then the argument was if she cooks food, the high temperatures that the food cooks in would kill the typhoid. So they were like, well, that's not it. You know, because the, the temperature sorts it out. But the problem is that um, Mary's signature dish was fresh peaches and ice cream, which was something that didn't have to be cooked. And everywhere she went, she made that and it was quite popular because it was really delicious and sweet. And it was the way her hands cut up the raw peaches. That would be how she transmitted the disease. They kind of the way her hands cut up the raw peaches. Oh, you dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. Outlook over here. <laughs> okay. So it was a cold dish. Nothing was cooked. So if there was any typhoid passed into the food, this is the way it would kind of go because she made it for everyone because it was so delicious. She's clearly, she's clearly not that much of a chef if that's her signature dish. Let's be honest. <laughs> Ice cream and peaches. <laughs> do you sure cook that... them or do you do anything with it? No, no, just chop them up and put them in the ice cream there. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> it actually reminds me, my, my granddad used to love making rhubarb crumble because he has rhubarb that grows outside. Did you give me a typhoid? He, no, but he, oh. when he's making the, like, the crumble for the top, he'd be mixing it in a big bowl. 
And he'd be like, oh, Jesus Christ, I love mixing it because you have to mash it up with your hands. It's great. It gets all the dirt out from under your fingers. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never got sick when you ate it, did you? No, because we cooked it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Gritty. <laughs> Stones in it. Everything. So, yeah, she wasn't really happy, to be honest. Um, she didn't like the fact that everyone kind of branded her as kind of the, the sick one. Like she has a quote saying, I never had typhoid in my life and I've always been healthy. So again, this is down to the the era where she wasn't really educated on this sort of stuff. And so she was determined that it wasn't her and they were all kind of against her, basically. Yeah, and you wouldn't be happy, though. As I said, she was being tested and prodded all the time. I think she, I think it was three stool samples and urine samples per week were yeah. taken. She was locked up for three years in isolation and in like a small one-room cottage on the, on the hospital grounds, which seemed to be underfunded and understaffed. So... Just an awful situation to be in. Yeah. And while she was locked in, they tested 163 stool samples. And of that figure, 120 of them tested positive for um, for typhoid. So they obviously knew that it was like, it's definitely you. But it's it's also weird that it was like intermittent. There was like blocks that she wouldn't have it. And it would be like weeks at a time that it would be come back negative. And then it would be weeks at a time that it would be. And it was just, yeah. So Because I did way. actually... I can't remember where I, I think I watched a little documentary on YouTube and I saw a guy talking about her and he said that she had been tested for typhoid early on in one of the early houses and she didn't have it. So she'd spread it and then she was in a period of it not being there. So she was going like, I've been tested before. Like, I don't have it. I don't feel anything. I'm fine. Like, would you please piss off? Maybe she got someone else's poo. No, like she, she did get tested early on. And then was negative. And then, yeah. It'd be like, it's still, like, we're saying this like, us, oh, well, they didn't know. It's like, even right now with COVID, like if you, like there's so many people I know who've got, had it and been completely asymptomatic and just had to go for a test like every 10 days. And they're like, no, you still have it. You still have to isolate. Yeah, exactly. So you kind of just want to be like, well, look, it can't affect me. Or, you know, you believe you're, mm. it doesn't affect you. But yeah, she, she was, she was pretty angry. She was, um, so much so that she actually tried to sue the health department in 1909. Yeah, there's actually a funny way how she was fun, how she funded that because obviously she came from a poor background and she was in she was in quarantine or isolation, so she couldn't earn. But seemingly there was a newspaper in the area that would like to get sensational stories. So he would give people like her money to pay for lawyers to then get it into the, the courtrooms to then print papers. <laughs> Excellent. Genius. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's the rumor, yeah, yeah. Jesus, <laughs> but she did get out of that, like quarantine, like lockdown thing, didn't she? Yeah, she. I I don't know. Was it compassionate or like they kind of just said, "Well, look, okay." Um, she got released from quarantine. They said, "You're fine." Well, no, you're not fine. You're dangerous. Just you can live a normal life. Just please don't cook. You're forbidden from cooking ever again, for other people or as a career because it doesn't go well. Yeah, but before they even said that, so they said, okay, we'll let you go, but we're going to take out your gallbladder, thinking that was where it was coming from. She completely said, no, 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 this that's not happening. And that surgery would have been quite a like a dangerous one at the time. You would have had broken ribs and, you know, it was, yeah, you could have died easily from infection or whatever. Yeah, we, we think nowadays it'd be fine, but back then, nah. So there was no antibiotics. So after mm. your recovery, you have to be so careful uh, for mm. a woman who is known for not being that hygienic. But, lo- <laughs> but lucky, yeah, lucky for her, though, uh, five other people did go for it. And then none of it, like they, they all still had typhoid, so it didn't work for them. Oh. So Yeah, because it's in your like intestine, isn't it? It's not in your gallbladder. Mm. 
So, oh. yeah, she just said, nope, go away. And <laughs> lucky for her. <laughs> Leave me be. Yeah. I like her strength there just to be like, okay, we'll release you, but we'll have to take away your gallbladder. And she was like, no, just release me. They're like, fine. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm surprised she had a pot to piss in, I guess, or she had a... It's mm. curious. But I, I, no, I'm surprised she had like a, a any chips. Mm, hang on. I, I'm surprised that she had any power to be get out. I guess they realized it was a humanitarian thing because honestly, you can't be like, we'll lock you away forever for accidentally inflicting this upon a lot of people, you know? Because mm. pe- a lot of people were giving each other typhoid. They're just the this was the start of learning about healthy carriers and there was other healthy carriers. There was like a typhoid gym. What's the name? Typhoid John? Jim, I think it was, yeah. It's not as catchy, but um, there were other typhoid people. So she was kind of arguing that you can't be locking me away, you know? So they released her. Yeah, she said to her lawyer that she was treated as a guinea pig. Uh, as I said, obliged to give samples three times a week. And she so she was seeing these doctors but she had an actual eye injury so her eyelid was paralyzed and she had to bandage it up at night by herself and they wouldn't let her her treat it or they wouldn't treat that for her wow she was really an untouchable sorry there's also another bit sorry again before we move on that she as we said she didn't believe that she was or that she didn't believe that she actually had typhoid and with the help of her friend she got uh, samples uh, sent to it, an independent lab and all I think it was 12 uh, tests came back all negative so that just, oh, wow. just like reinforces okay. yeah that just reinforces that she's yeah. she's that she's just been lied to because yeah. I, I kind of have an opinion of her which I, I'd, I'd like to get into at the end but um yeah the stuff you're saying I'm, I'm it's very interesting phew <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I have an opinion. Ooh. <laughs> Dara, you've interested Oshin. One point to Dara. <laughs> Getting back to Mary, she got released and she began working straight away in a laundrette. Um, but the money was really different. So instead of making fifty euro, 50, instead of making fifty dollars a month, she was making twenty dollars a month. So it was also quite difficult. She also had a bad infection on her arm and she couldn't work for six months. And she was kind of borderline destitute. So after a few years of this absolute poverty, she went back to her love of cooking. But, you know, she, here's where I kind of argue that maybe she wasn't as innocent as she was because she was actually quite uh, sneaky. She began using like pseudonyms and different names. And as we've established in the early 1900s, once you just slap on a different name, you're damn near impossible to find. Mary Brown, wasn't it? <laughs> Mary Brown. <laughs> Which is quite funny thinking that typhoid comes from shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it, she was Breshoff and Brown. So she used a couple of different yes. names. I think that, I don't know, the state have to take a bit of blame here. They're like, okay, you're free. Now don't cook, don't cook. But like yeah. this woman is poor, has no skills. And this is like, okay, fine. I'll just work like poor jobs. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Or she see, has this one skill that pays a lot better. And mm. she had... 12 negative tests from an independent lab. Mm. I mean, I don't know if you can blame her that much. Well, other healthy carriers were, um, they were actually uh, reimbursed. So they're like, look, you can't work. Uh, you're too dangerous. But, you know, here, we'll give you money to provide for your family. But mm. because she didn't have a family and because she was not necessarily Irish, but just because she was an immigrant, she was treated differently. They kind of just did, they didn't respect her the way they respected other car- other healthy carriers as they were popping up during this mm. time. I think it is something to do with the Irish and a woman like probably as well, but because there was a German immigrant that had it and he was a skilled laborer. So he was, he was free to walk around. They were in the same, or he was in the same hospital as Mary and he was walking around fine. They released him after a couple of days or a couple of weeks and let him do isolation in his house and they paid his rent. So you um, know, they looked after him. That's a, that's a man. It could be a sexist time as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. 
and yeah, she was a fallen woman as well, having shacked up with a man outside of marriage. Mm. So she's a lot of things being used against her at the time. Yeah. So she, like I said, her only really thing to turn back into is what she was good at, which was cooking. Mm. So, or, well, not cooking, just putting peaches on a plate and saying, <laughs> voila. I'm, I'm sure she did many hot foods. She was hired by wealthy families. They obviously liked but the, the food hot she foods. But the hot foods were grand if she'd just done the hot foods. But she's like, nope, I have to do my special dish. I do make a meal. Yeah, well, but I guess the argument there is that she believed she was healthy and that everyone was like trying to yeah. shun her. So she was like, there's nothing wrong with my peaches. I make amazing peaches. <laughs> Did you see after she was released one of her jobs, there was a outbreak of typhoid around and her fellow chefs start like joking with her. They didn't know she was typhoid Mary. Oh, and they were just no. like taking the piss because they're just like, oh, Mary. And then they just start calling her typhoid Mary. <laughs> That's like your man, Charlie Chaplin, entering the lookalike competition and losing. Yeah, he came like third or something. <laughs> Jesus, that's brilliant. She must have just been like, yeah, yeah, I just eat my peaches, okay? But yeah. the, the, I think this is where kind of we should stop laughing because it was in a mater- maternity hospital, so. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I have that here. Um, I have it here. It's, it's 1915. She started working in the Sloan Hospital for Women mm. and... Two people died there and 25 were affected. So that this is where our old pal Soper comes back into play. So he was called in and they were like, she's back. Well, or he was kind of, I don't think they even re- he realized she was back just yet, but he kind of put the pieces together and realized that he analyzed handwriting and it matched her old handwriting. And it this guy was good. Yeah, he was very good. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, he, you know, sanitation hero. Do you reckon but, he um, had a, like a deer stalker? Like, was he styling himself as Sherlock Holmes walking around? With a big... <laughs> cane and a feckin' pipe yeah. maybe and the nose for sniffing out poo <laughs> but um yeah and then all the all the previous places she worked at uh he kind of used their descriptions of her and i'd say the big irish accent probably stuck out of it too so yeah then she fled from the hospital and she got caught bringing food to a friend's house so they must have staked out one of her friends or something and then on march 27th in 1915 she was returned to quarantine there's a good quote from a doctor uh, from the hospital that she was working in. And it's sure enough, there she was earning her living in a hospital kitchen and spreading typhoid germs among the mothers and babies and doctors and nurses like in a destroying angel. That man's wasted being a doctor. She was a writer. Um, <laughs> Why do you assume he was a man? Because it was 1900s. Was a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we divide up these sections and we each take different parts and we each kind of investigate it so we can have it as this coherent kind of story in the podcast. Yeah. Um, I started looking up about her second quarantine. So when she was taken back in and the, the first sentence of pretty much everything I found about her second quarantine was, we don't know much about her second quarantine or not much is known. So this is quite mm. a short section. Yeah, so there is very much. Cut short. Um, so she was on North Brother Island, which I'd never heard of in just off Manhattan. It's like, there's North Brother and South Brother, which are two islands off the coast of Manhattan, which oh. were used as um, institutions and then later on became drug rehabilitations and now are bird centuries, which are very cool. Oh. Um, so, But she stayed there for more than 23 years. Uh, the authorities gave her a private one-story cottage. Um, and from 1918, she was allowed to take day trips to the mainland. Uh, so she was like 49, 50 but she, she, she wasn't too happy. Like I have a quote here. Um, so I'm the quote guy today, but it just says, you know, this is her writing. And she was like, why should I be banished like a leper and compelled to live in solitary confinement with only a dog for a companion? So she wasn't, she wasn't too pleased with the whole concept as. Yeah. You know, and then just fast forward then to 1925, uh, a 
Dr. Alexandra Plavska came to the island for an internship and she organized a lab on the second floor of the chapel and offered Mary a job there. So she washed bottles, did recordings and prepared glasses for pathologists. Which again, given her history with hygiene, I just don't think her <laughs> working as a lab technician is the best idea. But I guess once you're not eating or drinking out of them, I'd say you're probably in the clear. But she was doing it for pathologists. So isn't pathology like the study of bacteria? No idea. Is it? What is pathology? Dara, you're the expert. No idea. <laughs> yeah, there's no quote about it, so Washington doesn't State know. State pathologist, someone who investigates well, murder scenes. Pathology is the medical speciality concerned with the study of nature and causes of diseases. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why is there typhoid in everything? I can't seem to figure it out. <laughs> typhoid Mary just shrugs her shoulders. I don't know. Um, but I was actually looking up this island. There's a, a photographer that was given permission to go onto it, and he's there's all these abandoned buildings on it now that he went around like it's a whole. All the birds are living in it. Um, it's really eerie and creepy, but very good. Cool. Imagine you look them up. Well, the ghost of Typhoid Mary wanders the island. Ooh, ooh, making peaches, peaches nice. Um, <laughs> I, I actually don't know what happened to her in the end. Does anyone know? <laughs> yeah, I've got a little bit. Um, well, just that it said she found consolation in religion. So it's kind of the same thing with the prisoners who are locked away for the rest of their lives. Mm. They go to religion for a while. Um, so, yeah. And what, what I have here is that she was at perfect peace in the bosom of the church to which she gave the last years of her faith and loyalty, which is a bit shitty. But anyway, by the time she died, um, the New York had identified over 400 other healthy carriers. So... She really got the short end of the stick, to be honest, because they're, you know, they 400 healthy carriers and she was like, why are they dumping me out on an island on my own? Like, I'm not. Yeah, there. sorry. Yeah, they were, she was the only one that had to isolate, which is just, yeah, poor woman. It's, it's a little bit unfair, to be honest. And she then became kind of like a sigil or like when it became compliance with health laws, it always kind of went back to Typhoid Mary and what mm. she did and what she didn't do. So, and then she was known for be, being stubborn. And so she, she's remembered in history, but she's remembered for kind of being obstinate. But in reality, you know, it, it's it's an understandable obstinance because she really was convinced she was healthy. She didn't really realize the bad she was doing. There's some great newspaper articles about it. And they have like, obviously drawings and it'll be like a woman with um, a cooking pan. And it's as if, if, if you can imagine like an egg, she's cracking an egg on it, but the egg's the shape of a skull. And it's just about like the extraordinary predicament of Mary Malone. Yeah. yeah. And there's some funny pictures of her where she just looks pissed off. And I guess I would, I would be too, to be honest. They have some pictures yeah. of her at the hospital, I think. The yeah. hospital but, beds photos are. Yeah. She yeah. looks pissed. She looks yeah. really pissed. Yeah. But again, if someone has been demanding stool samples, I wouldn't be too happy. But anyway, let's get to the end of Mary. So after, after spending her lifetime in quarantine, um, she had a stroke in 1932. And then after that, she wasn't able, she was paralyzed from the side. Half her body was paralyzed. And then on the 11th of November, 1938, she eventually died of pneumonia at the age of 69. So she was then cremated. Nine people showed up to her funeral. And yeah, that's the end of Typhoid Mary, I guess. There's a bit of a legacy for it, though. Yeah. We all kind of use the term typhoid Mary as a, you know, <laughs> undesirable thing or disease. Yeah, but it's kind of used like in a super negative way, like, oh, someone knows mm. who knows they're sick, but it doesn't care. It seemed like you mm. kind of would yeah. say it about someone who's a bit horrible. True, true. I feel a bit bad now. Well, don't, because there's a rap group called Hail Mary Ma uh, Malone in New York. And also, Anthony Bourdain wrote a book about her. No way, really? Yeah, a chef or a cook. <laughs> oh. 
how to cook with typhoid. <laughs> Clean your hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it just different ways to make peaches and ice cream? I didn't look it up. I'll check it out. <laughs> I really want peaches and ice cream after this story. <laughs> would you do tin peaches or would you do... Oh, like the peaches and holes. I have no idea. I know nothing about peaches. I, rarely, I barely have peaches. I don't know why this episode makes me want them all of a sudden because it's not exactly painting them in a very nice light. I find with peaches, you have to eat them. If you're eating like a like fresh peach, you have to kind of eat it over the sink or with a bib. It's going to be a wet, mushy just, affair. They're, yeah, they're great though. But you do have yeah. to kind of eat it away from your body. As far away as you can. Yeah, but you get to do like canned peaches. I'd say they're just pure sugar, are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rocket fuel. But yeah, do you remember in Holes when they find the... The little kid finds the very well written, very well written. That part, that that part, that that's a very distinctive image in my head. So yeah, it obviously. Oh wait, sorry. It's I've also a, a movie. I've got a great quote from Anthony Bourdain's book. Oh, Go on. Yeah, uh, I look around. I look around the grave and make sure no one else is watching. Lean over with my hands and pull back the grass at the base of her stone. I slip my knife down there, covered up uh, the covered up. Wait, cover it up the way I look. What the hell? <laughs> Wow, powerful! Yeah, I slip, I slip my, I slip my knife down there, covered it up the way it looked before. Oh, that's so cool! Yeah, he just goes to her grave and just like puts his knife down and then pays homage to her that way. Oh, I thought he was gonna put peaches in her grave. Garrett, you you loved the quote because you didn't finish the quote. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I just saw like I just saw like he gets his knife out and like leans down on her grave and I was like, this is it. But no, no, it's not great. So he just stabs her grave. Well, I'm sure it's him paying homage to her in some way. Because, like, that that's kind of it. She did kind of get the short end of the straw. Like, she she basically became a test subject. Then she became a sensationalized news piece. And, the, like, there's some sources I have here that say nobody ever sat down with her and made her realize that she was a risk. They just quarantined her. They just made, you know, they made her like a, a lab rat, basically. Mm. So, yeah, I think she got I think she got kind of a shitty deal to be honest. Yeah, and at the end, like even when they knew and they understood what it was, the fact that there was 400 other carriers that were like, "Yep, just be sound. We'll pay your rent. We'll, you know." Yeah. That's well, sad. it was because she flaunted the that's it's because she was famous that she went she quarantined the first time, and then she was free, and then because she flaunted the rules again, that's when right, kind of public yeah. opinion was was turned dead set against her basically. But what do you um what do you two think of her? Do you think she was a goodie or a baddie? I think like most things, probably a bit of both, a bit of grey. I know yeah. that's the boring answer, but that's probably it. Like she probably at the start, obviously she seemed pretty innocent, but then as soon as she knew, she definitely shouldn't have worked in a hospital. Mm. If she thought there was a possibility. Yeah, that she could be mm. transmitting it like. Mm. Was it in hindsight that we figured out the peaches was the thing, or was that at the time? Oh, I'm pretty sure that was quite early on. I think that was probably first question. So then like you could almost be like, right, just stop doing the fucking peaches, Mary. Well, in fairness, we don't know if she was doing the peaches in the hospital. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, it probably wasn't the, like the high high end food she was doing before for like the rich families. Mm. Just coming at hospital food on a little plastic tray, and it's this like perfect masterpiece of like, <laughs> like with the little thing with the spoon. You know, you do that with the sauce. And the posh oh, restaurants do that. They like spread it with a yeah. They dab it. Oh you, yeah, the you, smush. Like, yeah, you smush it on a spoon and then they do a line and they drag it around. Sometimes I do it with mash spuds myself at home. Just to be fancy. <laughs> Just on a Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs>
That's the end of Typhoid Mary. Again, as all of our other people, she had a very interesting life and it isn't really certain what side of the fence. I hope we've told you the story as best as we can and you can kind of come to your own conclusions on whether she was a saint or a sinner. Who knows? But if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to, I don't want to say like and subscribe like all the YouTube videos, but please make sure to either leave us a review or if you want to hear an extra episode every month, you can also check us out on patreon.com forward slash the Out of Ireland podcast. And if you don't want to get stuck into like a subscription model but you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to buy us a coffee or a pint uh, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash out of ireland and you can just send us a once-off donation there and that'd be greatly appreciated or just tell your friends about us yeah if you don't want to spend any money just tell people and um, that'll be appreciated too yeah absolutely and as usual thanks to jordan o'leary for providing the lovely music that i always enjoy listening to and never get sick of thanks for listening and see you next time Itchy balls. Sorry. <laughs> 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 Just give a good scratch there, Rush. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Don't put that in. <laughs>